Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're having a nice weekend. Later, as the addiction crisis gets even worse in Kentucky, we'll be joined by the founder and CEO of the largest addiction treatment effort in the state. Our interesting interview with Tim Robinson of Addiction Recovery coming up shortly. But first, the Delta variant of COVID-19 demands our attention this weekend as numbers are quickly climbing. It is all happening as schools are reopening and Kentuckians are trying to get ready for fall festivals, sports seasons, and other events. What is the situation right now? How can we get things under control? Joining us this morning is Dr. Mark Darty, an infectious disease specialist with Baptist Health Lexington. Doctor, welcome. We appreciate you being with us. Good morning. Here we are again. Uh, the numbers are uh, climbing. Some hospitals near capacity. We understand some elective procedures being delayed. How would you describe where we are right now? Well, I think we're on the front slope of a bigger uh, surge. Uh, we're uh, a little over a month ago, we had uh, three patients here in the hospital in Baptist Lexington, uh, no COVID patients in the ICU. And now we, the last few days, we've been running consistently 50. Uh, we think it's gonna get twice as bad over the next two weeks. So we think the peak is gonna be at the end of, uh, at the end of August. What is it like? Uh, and Go ahead. Uh, that's based on predictions from the Institute for Healthcare Metrics out of the University of Washington and just what we can see happening around us, too. What is it like for the healthcare system to try to deal with this uh, now fourth surge of COVID-19? It's been very difficult. You know, we, uh, we, we have some things are better than the, with the previous surges, so uh, we don't have the concerns about not having enough personal protective equipment. Our testing for COVID-19 is much better than it was before, and we have uh, many more test kits than we did before. Uh, but frankly, a lot of the healthcare workers are, are getting burned out. Uh, we don't have enough nurses uh, right now. That's true across the country. Uh, a lot of the shortages are not just having the physical beds, but not having the healthcare staff to be able to take care of, of all the patients. So. Uh, that's really, uh, we're concerned not just about the COVID patients, but about, but about other patients. And that's why a few days ago we had to cancel elective surgeries that might result in hospitalization. So we're still uh, proceeding with elective surgeries that we don't think will require overnight hospitalizations, but we frankly don't have the staff or the beds to, you know, to hospitalize more patients right now. Doctor, slightly more than uh, half of Kentuckians are vaccinated. We do have uh, breakthrough cases uh, that we know, but uh, what is the difference for people who have had a vaccine? Well, we are seeing some breakthrough cases. Uh, most of those cases are not becoming ill. Uh, we think that uh, what's happening there is the, uh, the massive amount of Delta, which is uh, basically a thousand times more virus in each person uh, than the previous strains is hitting uh, the vaccinated person and their immune systems reacting, but it's still uh, infecting them in their upper airway. Uh, it, for the most part, it prevents the virus from descending down into the lungs and causing low oxygen levels, which then precipitates hospitalization and puts you at risk for dying. Uh, the, we are having some patients that are vaccinated, hospitalized. It's around uh, 20 to 22% of our patients who've been previously vaccinated are are, are you know comprise the uh, the hospitalized population they're not getting nearly as sick as the patients who are unvaccinated most of the patients who are uh, uh, in the ICUs and on the ventilator and really suffering are the ones who are unvaccinated 
Given that, have you been surprised by the resistance to vaccines? We have some counties uh, where the vaccinated rate is uh, less than 40 percent. It's frankly just baffling. I, I just don't, uh, I don't, I don't get it. And, you know, it's very uh, saddening for me talking to people who have a misunderstanding about the vaccine, misplaced fears, and they're telling me they just made a mistake and they're weeping and crying as they're uh, suffering, uh, can't can't breathe, and end up on the ventilator dying. Uh, we've gotten better at treating people, but we we can't save everyone. And I think the, um, you know, when I when I talk to people about it, I I, you know, I try to reassure them that the potential serious consequences consequences of vaccination are extremely rare, and uh, and very unlikely to happen. Whereas with this Delta variant, it's so contagious that if you're unvaccinated over the next few weeks, you're going to get uh, COVID-19. I think that's a near certainty. And when you get COVID-19, there's at least a 20% chance uh, that you'll end up severely ill from it, uh, have to potentially come into the hospital and have all kinds of potential consequences, not in the, in the, not just in the lungs, where everyone knows about the lungs and scarring in the lungs and uh, suffocating, uh, but also strokes and blood clots in the legs going to the lungs and heart attacks and uh, fogginess and not thinking clearly. And that can actually persist for quite a while. At least two of my patients that I have with COVID right now, their primary manifestation is their, their brain's not functioning. They can't think, they're completely out of it. And we, we don't, in some patients that's, uh, you know, can be a, a protracted issue. Uh, so if you're unvaccinated right now, just remember and, and afraid of vaccine, the vaccines are extremely safe. There, the, there are some very rare potential serious side effects, uh, but if you don't get vaccinated, you're gonna get COVID over the next few weeks. That's how contagious Delta is. And you're gonna really, uh, I think, regret it. Uh, and you may pass it to someone else in your family because one of the other dynamics that we're seeing now is that once one family member gets infected, if they're unvaccinated, basically the whole family gets infected. And someone in the family is gonna be likely to have serious consequences from it. Uh, uh, one other thing that I want to emphasize is uh, when the whole pandemic started, you know, I talked to some virologists in different areas of the country and they were shocked at the viral loads that the Wuhan variant uh, was causing, uh, the original strain of, uh, of COVID-19. Uh, they told me that they had patients who were minimally symptomatic and had the highest viral load of any viral infection they had ever seen by orders of magnitude. Hmm. Now, let's look at what Delta's doing. Multiply that times a thousand. Uh, it's so incredibly contagious. The R-naught has gone uh, from uh, 2.5 up to uh, probably eight or nine. And that's that's the uh, the figure that we refer to uh, as, as to how many uh, other people an infected person is, is infecting. Uh, so with the Wuhan strain, it was somewhere uh, between two and three, and now we've got uh, we've got a virus that's so contagious it's up to uh, eight or nine. And if you if every if anyone's watched the movie Contagion, the dreadful virus there had an R naught of four, and so we're dealing with an R naught that's probably twice that much. Uh, so we think we're we're headed for uh, such a big surge here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, that we're going to hit more patients in the hospital uh, than we had during the previous really bad surge in December and, and January. 
Doctor, you know, uh, uh, the governor uh, and now the State Board of Education have issued school mask mandates. Some have been harshly critical of that. There are uh, legal challenges uh, being filed. Uh, in your opinion, could the schools continue to uh, open and, and, and operate without students wearing masks? If they don't wear masks, they're going to shut down. I mean, we all want our kids going to school. Uh, some kids did, some, some children did okay with remote learning, but a lot did not. And we want the kids to be in school. If you have a school and, and you're not masking school now, it's going to shut down because there's going to be a massive outbreak. Another dynamic that we've seen that's different than, than with the previous surges is, uh, because, I think because Delta is so contagious, more children are getting infected. I'm, get, I'm literally getting calls all day about uh, children getting infected and then potentially passing to other people. Now, most children are not going to get seriously ill from it. There are a few that will uh, develop multi-system inflammatory syndrome, uh, which is a very serious and potentially life-threatening. Uh, there are other kids who will have uh, cognitive, you know, uh, thinking dysfunction from it. Uh, fortunately, that's pretty rare, but because so many people, uh, so many children are getting infected right now, that's actually filling up the children's hospitals here in, in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. It's filling up children's hospitals in uh, Louisiana and in Florida. And I don't think you want one of your kids being one of those uh, children in a children's hospital, especially when it looks like they're running out of resources and running out of beds. Um, the biggest issue is not, I mean, that's, that yeah. is a big issue yeah. getting, you know, uh, you know, some kids getting severely ill Dr. Darty, thank you uh, very much. We appreciate you, the, the territory that we've been able to, to cover here. And, and you okay. know, we hear uh, vaccine. Uh, that is uh, where people need to be right now. Appreciate you very much uh, for taking time out and good luck as we uh, okay. head into okay. this situation. And okay. we'll be back in just a moment with Tim Robinson, the founder of Addiction Recovery Care, next on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers from WKYT. I'm Bill Bryant. During the pandemic, the opioid crisis has gotten worse. More addiction, more overdoses, and more deaths. Lives, families, and careers are often ruined by substance abuse. But addiction recovery care is successfully moving some Kentuckians from considering themselves broken and lost into breaking the bonds, staying clean, and then actually becoming mentors for others. Joining us today to talk about that is Tim Robinson. He is the founder and the CEO of Addiction Recovery Care. Thanks, Tim, for coming in. We appreciate it very much. Bill, thanks for having us, and thanks for all the work that you all have done here on the station to bring this issue that affects so many of our neighbors to light. You know, the numbers are very concerning. And just over halfway through 2021, we have seen those numbers climb again. We have set records for overdoses. This is a crisis within a crisis, isn't it? Yeah, it's an epidemic inside of a pandemic. And what's so upsetting, not only have we lost so many of our neighbors, some reports say it's going to be as much as 40% increase in overdoses in Kentucky in the pandemic year of 2021 or 2020. Um, but what's discouraging is a reported came out this year that prior to the pandemic, Kentucky and specifically Eastern Kentucky was making a lot of progress in reducing overdoses. In fact, Eastern Kentucky had more success than any other region in the United States. Now we've seen that progress evaporated 
with the pandemic, and so it's it's discouraging. So we've had this horrible setback. Uh, how do you provide hope for those uh, who are in the, the grip of addiction, for families and, and communities, really, that are, are suffering from the, the uh, complex problems that this really brings raining down on folks? Well, and at times it seems hopeless, and we start seeing these numbers and we start seeing the number of deaths and at times it seems hopeless. The good news is, is prior to the pandemic, the things we were doing as a state, the things that the state government was investing, the things that the federal government, the investments they were making, we were starting to see what we were doing working. You know, Kentucky's one of the first states to really get out in front of trying to do something about our opioid problem. We've had some of the national leaders just right here in Kentucky that, that have led on this on the national stage. And so what we were doing was working. So we just got to get doubled down back on what we were, we were doing. And then one of the big concerns is, is this opioid fentanyl. That's a big reason on top of all the problems with the pandemic, isolating people in addiction, the influx of fentanyl into our country and into our state has drove a lot of these these overdoses in in this last year. So you said while people can be hopeless, and that's why they get to that point, you do find there is hope if people will seek some some help. Oh, absolutely. You know, for families out there, for people in addiction out there, you know, at times this thing seems hopeless. But there is a lot of great resources out there. Kentucky actually has better access to treatment than any state I know in the eastern United States. And so treatment works, recovery works. Uh, if, someone, if someone wants the help they need, the good thing in Kentucky is you can get it. There's access to treatment here. And so we, I see people every day. Our, our company has 800 employees. Half of them are in recovery. A third of our employees have come through our doors in that hopeless state. And there is programs that work. There's a lot of great providers in Kentucky. There's a lot of great recovery programs in Kentucky. And so we're better off than a lot of states because we do have so many resources. And so you do find that those who have had the experience of addiction themselves are uh, well equipped to help guide others who, who have are facing the same issue. Yeah, it's, it's that building compassion that they know what people are going through. And that means a lot to people in addiction. And so I think that's very important to have people in recovery programs and treatment providers for them to have staff that's been there. You know, I've always told people, if I wanted to climb Mount Everest, I wouldn't go to a geology textbook. I'd find somebody that's climbed the mountain that's actually planted a flag and ask them how they did that. And that's what we find with a lot of folks in recovery. They're able to help point other people the way to get there. When you started Addiction Recovery Care, did you think it would grow this rapidly? Was that your goal? Or did you think maybe we can just help a few people? I had no idea. I was uh, an alcoholic myself. Started drinking when I was at University of Kentucky Law School. My mom had terminal lung cancer. I started drinking to cope with that. That was the trauma in my life that, that caused that to happen, that, that my problem came about. And so I got into this because I almost drank myself to death. Fortunately, I got sober. Fortunately, there was people who come alongside of me and gave me the support that I need to recover. A couple years into that, we decided to just start a grassroots recovery center down in Louisa, Kentucky, where I still live today. And over the years, that has just organically grown. We didn't set out to do it. 
the demand unfortunately has almost driven us to grow because there is such a need for services out there. You talk about uh, crisis to career uh, yes. and, and that's one of the elements of, of, of your, your program. Uh, how do you get people there? Well, I think that one of the things we have to realize there's no silver bullet to the addiction problem. People don't get into addiction overnight. Many people who get there it's because of adverse childhood experiences or a work injury. There's nobody sets out to become uh, someone who's in addiction. And so we've got to realize that it's going to take some time. It takes the investment of not only treatment, but recovery support. And then one of the things that we've built in our crisis to career model is that people need to get back to work. People need purpose. They need something to do. They need to be able to contribute. They've spent a lot of time taken away from people and their families and their neighbors. And so it's real important to them in their recovery to be able to go through vocational rehabilitation, have job training, and get back in the workforce. And we have a lot of jobs open in our state right now. Are you finding that businesses are, are open to hiring folks who have had uh, uh, this in their background? It, it, it's increasing in number. And I think, you know, with the number of jobs that are, that are open that people need to work, that some of that is, is driving that. But then also our Kentucky Chamber, we got one of the leading chambers in the nation in, in supporting this. They have recruited 18,000 second chance employers over the last couple of years. And that's helping a ton as employers getting educated. But just because somebody is in addiction doesn't mean they can't be a great employee. In fact, people in active addiction, if they're if once they go through recovery and are in recovery, they actually miss less work than someone who's not in addiction. Because they're, they're, they're dedicated. They're dedicated. Point. They're thankful for a fresh start. They're thankful that someone has taken the time to give them a chance. And that's what I find in my workforce, 800 employees, half of them in recovery. And they're, they're, many of them are my best employees. So you bring them in, you're stop, trying to stop the abuse, you're giving them the support they need to move forward, and then this training or uh, maybe a certification or a GED or something, is uh, you help them uh, try to attain as well. Absolutely, like right now, for example, you mentioned GED. We have over a thousand people in care right now, and 10% of the people in our residential centers right now are enrolled in the GED program. And we actually have the GED program coming into our facilities. Because without a high school diploma, it's hard to get in the job market. And then for many folks, they're now second and third generation in addiction. So they've not had a background of stability. And so in our facilities, we're actually having to reparent folks and teach them the basics and teach them what it means to get up for a job, how to show up for that job, how to put a resume together. And then for a great many people, they've never had an economic opportunity. So we have to help them find a career path and when we do that then we we see that that the results are incredible when people have that I, I wouldn't have you use a name certainly but but give us an example tell us a, a story of somebody who came to you uh, very broken who's now successful so one of the people that comes to mind is our vice president of business affairs her name's Kayla Parsons I'm not disclosing her health information she talks about it a lot she just got finished with Leadership Kentucky's Bright Leadership Program, identifying her as one of the, the rising stars in leadership. She is essential to the success of our company. She had had a 30-plus ACT, gave up a full scholarship because her addiction crashed her life. We were able to intervene for her. She went through treatment. She went through some of our job training programs. And one of the incredible statements that she made when she did one of our training programs is she said, I forgot how smart I was. Mm -hmm. And so that intelligence now 
uh, in her drive and her thankfulness for her job is she's now a vice president with our company. Her dad was a, a, a police officer in Ashland, Kentucky and had lots of different ways to, to, to help her because he was a part of that, that court system. But then when she found hope that she could contribute again to society, that changed everything for her. Well, it's powerful. Uh, is, the, is cost of treatment a, a factor for people uh, who are trying to get an opportunity to stay clean? And has the Medicaid expansion uh, had any bearing on that? So when we started Karen's Place several years ago, access to treatment was a, was a huge issue. But fortunately, in 2014, Kentucky became the first of the Appalachian states to add addiction treatment to the Medicaid benefit. And that's changed everything. And so former Governor Bashir's administration did that. Former Governor Bevin's organization put in some additional programs. And now this governor that we have now, Governor Andy Bashir's administration, is focused on this. So all three of these governors have worked together in seasons to improve it to where now Kentucky has the best access to treatment of any state I know of. So money's not a barrier. Somebody needs help, there is available. And that's not only through the Medicaid program, but we have programs now in our state for people that can't afford high deductibles and co-pays access treatment. And it's, it's incredible what Kentucky's doing. Sometimes it's not the individual who can find the wherewithal to seek treatment. It is a family that pushes them. And we have uh, something called Casey's Law yes. uh, in Kentucky that uh, can assist some families in certain situations. It's a myth that you have to want help in order for help to work. And we see that every day with Casey's Law. We get so many folks who come in the door kicking and screaming because mom or dad or grandparents have court ordered them to treatment. But once they're there and once they're in an environment of healing, the miracle happens and then they start wanting the help. And so I would recommend anybody out there that has a loved one that's in addiction, don't think just because they don't want it right now that the help still won't make a difference because I see it every day. People come in not wanting to be there, the miracle happens and then they get their lives back. There is a potential that Kentucky can get $460 million out of a one settlement uh, agreement that's being reached, and there may be some others mm -hmm. uh, as we move forward. Does, does that to provide hope that there can be some sustained resources available to continue treatment? In a state like Kentucky, where overdoses are up 40%, we need every intervention we can. We need residential, we need medically assisted treatment, we need recovery homes and transitional houses. We need vocational programs aimed at helping people get a second chance job. And so I'm confident that this is going to be one of those cases where politics will be put aside and the people today that are state leaders, I've seen them work over the last several years, come together and do what's right for our state. And I'm very confident that these dollars are going to go into to helping save lives. Tim, we've got a big problem right now. I mean, you know, the, the foot is on the neck here in Kentucky and we see it, as we said, we see it getting worse. Uh, you're hopeful. I'm very hopeful. What we were doing before the pandemic was working, especially in Eastern Kentucky, 5th Congressional District, a lot of the efforts of Operation Unite had created an environment where we were having a lot of success in the mountains. Those same types of programs are now being replicated in other parts of Kentucky. We need to double down on those efforts. The other thing we got to realize is that fentanyl is an enemy right now for the public health of our neighbors in our state. So we got to do everything we can on the law enforcement side to make sure fentanyl's not coming into our communities. And then finally, 
we've got to make sure that people live in order to find recovery. So we need to make sure that there's Narcan everywhere we can have Narcan because this is going to get worse before it gets better in terms of this fentanyl problem. But if we all just keep doing what we're doing, I'm hopeful that here in Kentucky we're full of people who are just as smart and just as innovative as anywhere in the country. We used to be ground zero of the national problem, but this entire country now is looking at us as ground zero for the national solutions. Tim Robinson, the CEO and the founder of Addiction Recovery Care. Thank you for coming by. We appreciate it very much. Bill, thank you for having us. Hope you'll stay with us now on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susperen, and here is your full court fast break. A threat looming, the possibility of a government shutdown as our nation nears its debt limit. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warning failure to boost the limit could mean irreparable harm to the economy. She is pushing lawmakers to raise the debt ceiling before federal funding expires on September 30th. No word if and when that vote will happen. This week, 46 out of 50 GOP senators signed an open letter blaming the issue on Democrat spending. They say Democrats need to take sole responsibility, arguing that Senate Democrats have the power through reconciliation to unilaterally raise the debt ceiling. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer disagrees. It has always been bipartisan to deal with the debt ceiling. When Trump was president, I believe the Democrats joined with him to raise it three times. The White House and Janet Yellen preferred it be done outside of reconciliation. Schumer says tackling it outside of reconciliation allows for more flexibility. Senate Democrats did not include the budget ceiling in their $3.5 trillion budget blueprint, which they plan to pass with reconciliation. That means both parties must reach across the aisle to lift the budget limit. The question is, when? The House is not back in session until August 23rd. The Senate is on recess until September 13th. That only gives Congress about two weeks to act before the government runs out of money. If they don't work together, we could see a shutdown, furloughs, even a downgraded U.S. credit ranking. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren is coming up this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Thank you so much for being with us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. I'll see you this week on WKYT News. Make it a good week ahead.